Shabbat Shalom, everyone, and welcome to our program. Our program is entitled The Visions of Ezekiel. We're going through a study of the book of Ezekiel. And this episode, we are at chapter 10. Uh, just a very, very quick review about last episode that we talked about. Chapter 8 gave us a series of what I would call abominations. Ezekiel was shown in the temple at various positions in the temple, beginning at the north gate, continuing to the wall of the inner court, to the position between the porch and the altar, ascending level, or maybe I should use descending levels of abominations that were taking place. And then suddenly in chapter 9, we're talking about an incredible judgment of God in which that there's these six angels with shattering weapons, it says, and they, God tells them to go out and judge God's people for participating in these abominations. And there's another angel that follows them who has an ink horn. He has a device for writing, and he goes out, and he is to put a mark in the forehead of all those that belong to God that sigh and groan at these abominations. Now, we see that last angel that's going out to put a mark on the forehead. That is what, in the book of Revelation, it's talking about the sealing of the 144,000. If you recall, the start of the Great Tribulation is the abomination of desolation. It is the shutting down of God's altar, which is a further abomination, even greater than the ones that Ezekiel saw, and it results in the 144,000 being sealed. But one of the things that Ezekiel brought out here in this one, which is something that Peter talked about at the end, Peter said judgment comes first on the household of faith. And in Ezekiel chapter 9, it becomes very clear that God, before the judgments that happen in the Great Tribulation, for example, the seals, trumpets, and plagues, the first judgments from God are going to be on the household of faith. The people who participated in the abomination of desolation are going to be subject to judgment from God. God is not going to show any mercy to any believer who participated in that abomination. In fact, the judgment is so severe that Ezekiel, when he saw this, he cried out to God. He says, is it your intent to destroy the whole remnant of the whole house of Israel? And of course, God said, no. It's only those who participated in the abomination. This is the reason why, over the many years that I have shared with you on eschatology, yes, there's an altar that's coming one day. Yes, it's going to get shut down. A lot of people are going to be very confused about whether this is of God or if not. And I have said to people, look, if you don't understand the teaching about the altar, if you do, you'd be in favor of it. If you don't, you don't quite understand. Don't join with the anti-Messiah in coming against it. Anytime a believer joins with a position the anti-Messiah has, you've made the wrong choice. I mean, it's as simple as that. That can't be right. So participating in the shutting down of the altar, agreeing with coming against the altar that will be coming in the future, participating in, quote, the abomination that makes desolation, you're going to be subject to judgment from God. And as Peter said, judgment comes first on the household of faith. You're going to get a judgment from God even before the sealed judgments take place. And so I've warned people, when this altar goes up, if you don't understand it, 
Just be neutral. Just be quiet. Don't speak against it. Don't come against it whatsoever. The prophecies that are from chapter 9 are about us and the end times. And we can see what's going to be happening at that. As you know, there is a prophecy in the end times that says there's going to be a great falling away of the faith. A great apostasy will take place right at the end. This could be part of what that's about. We'll just have to see how all that plays out and what the Lord wants to do with it. All right, so essentially our last portion concluded with this angel, by the way, it's Gabriel, coming back and announcing to Ezekiel that he has completed the task. He has sealed and he's written on the forehead of all those that he was supposed to go to and to do it. And in verse 11, it says, of chapter 9, it says, Then behold, the man clothed in linen, at whose loins was the writing case, reported and said, I have done just as thou hast commanded me. He completes his task. For us, in the, in the future scenario, that means that's the moment the 144,000 are completely sealed. All of them have been sealed, and so now we go forward from that point. Now, chapter 10 is going to jump back into some material we've already heard before. He's going to get this incredible vision again of the Merkabah, the throne of God, the wheels, and the cherubim. We're going to hear a lot of detail about this again. Let me read from, from chapter 10 for you a little bit, and you're going to go, oh, yeah, this is some of the stuff we first heard from Ezekiel, and he's going to give us some additional detail with regard to it. Aptly name, our lesson is the visions of Ezekiel. We're getting ready to see a very intensive vision that Ezekiel was given. Chapter 10, verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, in the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, something like a sapphire stone, for its appearance resembling a throne, appeared above them. And he spoke to a man clothed in linen and said, Enter between the whirling wheels under the cherubim, and fill your hands with the coals of fire from between the cherubim, scatter them over the city, and he entered into my sight. So let's get the vision here. The cherubim are on the underside of the throne of God. The throne of God actually sits in the wings of the cherubim. And he's told by this angel in the linen, we think it's the same one that was in chapter 9, so it's Gabriel. What is Gabriel's position around the throne? He is directly forward of the Lord. In fact, his position is right near the golden altar where the incense would come up. He's like right before that. And so he's talking about that angel who's welcoming him to come in and to get some coals. Let me tell you what the coals are. That He's, he's not getting them off a fire altar. He's getting them off that golden altar that burns incense before God. So he's taking some of those coals that's used to burn the incense before God. Verse 3, Now the cherubim were standing on the right side of the temple when the man entered, and the cloud filled the inner court. That's the court that's outside the sanctuary where the altar and the laver and those things are at. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the temple. And the temple was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. Moreover, the sound of the wings of the cherubim were heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of Almighty God when he speaks. Essentially, what 
he's describing is God is in the temple and he's now moving in the temple. He's not in what we would call the Holy of Holies, the normal place where he's moved to the threshold of the temple. Now, there's some speculation as to exactly what is the threshold of the temple. There, in, in the second temple that we had that was in Jerusalem, there was a very high point that was on the southwest corner. And the western walls on one side, the southern steps on the, and there was a point up on the top. It was very where the elevation of the Temple Mount looked down, and it was called the threshold of the temple. It may have been there that he went to that high point. That particular point in the temple was the place where the priests, when they wanted to sound the trumpets throughout the city, that's the place where they would go sound the trumpets. That's where they would make a pronouncement that's to the nation, to all of the people. We think, in this scripture here, we think that's the place where Ezekiel's describing that the throne of God has moved to that point in the temple. So it goes on here to say, let me go to verse 6. And it came about when he commanded the man clothed in linen, saying, Take fire from between the whirling wheels, from between the cherubim. He entered and stood beside a wheel. Now we're talking about the coals that comes from the golden altar. Then the cherub stretched out his hand from between the cherubim of the fire, uh, to the fire which was beneath the cherubim, took some, put it in his hands of the one clothed in linen, who took it and went out. And the cherubim appeared to have the form of a man's hand under their wings. The cherubims have hands. They have four wings, but they have hands also. In other words, they're just not wings. There are hands that they have under the wings. Then I looked, and behold, four wheels beside the cherubim, one wheel beside each cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was like the gleam of a tarnished stone. Remember, there's the cherubim, and then there's the four wheels that are underneath, the, the mobile part of the throne. And there's many descriptions of this, and that's what he's describing again. And when they moved, they went in any of four directions without turning as they went, but they followed in the direction which they faced without turning as they went. Let me see if I can help you with that description. We have a set of wheels that go this way. We have a set of wheels that go this way. So when this moves, the wheels don't turn. There already is wheels that can go that way. So when it wants to go this way, it's these wheels that are turning. When it wants to go this way, it's these wheels are turning. And if you're moving this way diagonally, it's some of the wheels are turning. The wheels themselves don't turn. They remain in their fixed position. But when they turn, it's able to move. That's the description he's trying to give us. Verse 10, and as for their appearance, all four of them had the same likeness as if one wheel were within another wheel. When they moved, they went in any of four directions without turning as they went. They followed in the direction that they faced without turning as they went. And their whole body, their backs, their hands, their wings, the wheels were full of eyes all around and the wheels belonging to all four of them. So you have this picture of all these eyes going on. Now, we're not quite sure about that. I mean, I've seen different artists try to depict this, and it's kind of difficult, unless we see it directly, to really know for certain what, what is being expressed here. But it could be that what he was seeing was the sensation of movement. Have you ever seen a wheel, like a wagon wheel, that's traveling, and the spokes almost look like they're going backwards? You know the wheel's going this way, but it looks like the spokes are turning backwards. 
In other words, there's a visual phenomena that occurs when you have something in its movement. And I don't know if that's what he's trying to describe. He's trying to describe something that was very fascinating, that it was noteworthy to him, that indicated something that's definitely happening here. Uh, all of it's moving. All of it's happening. Verse 13, the wheels were called in my hearing the whirling wheels. He could hear the sound of them. And, you know, if you hear wheels normally going down the road, you can hear wheel noise. Just down up by a highway, what you're hearing is the wheels on the highway making the sound. The wheels are making the sound as the vehicles go by. And each one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub. The second face was the face of a man. The third was the face of a lion. The fourth, the face of an eagle. This is kind of fascinating because essentially what they're saying is that the head of the cherubim had four faces in different directions. As we have the wheels that go in four things, the, the head of the cherubim have four different faces looking around. There is a parallel scripture that you should be aware of. Aware of. Revelation chapter 4, verse 7 is a description of the seraphim. Now, we're talking about the cherubim here. What are the cherubim? They are the ones beneath the throne. They have four wings. The ones above the throne are the seraphim. They have six wings. And if you read Revelation 4 and verse 7, they too have four faces. The seraphim have four faces. And there's a description very similar to this one given for them as well. Again, some of this vision of the throne traces back to the vision that Isaiah had in chapter 6, which traces back to the vision that John had there in Revelation 4 and 5. If you pull them all together, you get kind of get this picture of what these men saw when they saw the throne of God. Verse 15, Then the cherubim rose up, and they are the living beings that I saw by the river Kabar. You remember way back at the start of this study, he saw these four living creatures. And so he's making reference to them again. And now when the cherubim moved, the wheels would go beside them. Also when the cherubim lifted up their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels would not turn from beside them. And when the cherubim stood still, the wheels would stand still. And when they rose up, the wheels would rise with them. For the spirit of the living beings was within them. Those four living creatures, they were somehow in those wheels. They were part of the dynamic of what he's describing. Verse 18, Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. What Ezekiel's just said is, I just saw God come to the temple, go to the threshold, and he just launched away from the temple. He just lifted up from the temple. God has just left the temple, is essentially what he's saying. And when the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose from the earth in my sight with the wheels beside them. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate. Now the east gate, if you were to leave the temple and go directly east out the main doors, you would hit the east gate. This is the gate, the walls of Jerusalem, and beyond that gate is the Kidron Valley, which then leads up to the Mount of Olives. And so that's the most east gate. That's called the Golden Gate in Jerusalem. So he goes to the east gate, and the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. You see the movement that he's making? 
And that's what's significant here. It's not so much trying to understand the vision of what he's seeking. It's what is God doing? Now, before we saw these abominations taking place in ascending level into the temple, now we see God departing from the temple in this way. Essentially, what God is sending the signal is, I'm not going to remain here anymore with all of these abominations. I'm not going to remain with you, Israel, as long as you are not obeying me. Verse 20, these are the living beings that I saw beneath the God of Israel by the river Kabar. So I knew that they were cherubim. He's giving you again the reason. And then he gives us a very clear definition. Verse 21, each one had four faces and each one four wings, and beneath their wings was the form of human hand. He's describing the cherubim now. And as for the likeness of their faces, they were the same faces whose appearance I had seen by the river Kabar. Each one of them went straight ahead. So Ezekiel in this chapter is giving us a vision of these abominations taking place and God's presence at that place leaving. Let's fast forward. Now, we know this took place because God's getting ready to announce judgment on Jerusalem. Let me give you a history lesson here real quick. When Babylon came down and captured Israel and made them a vassal state, they took certain people captive. They took some of the riches you know, of the place, but they didn't totally destroy the place. In fact, they tried to set up a kind of a cooperative administration other leaders to cooperate with them, because the Babylonians didn't want to waste a lot of resources and army and treasure just trying to destroy them. They really were just trying to use enough resources to capture them and get them working cooperatively with them. Well, they, they got, kind of got that set up, except there were factions within Israel that were very antagonistic about the Babylonians, and plus there were a power struggle that was going on in Israel. And one of the things that transpired was this one faction within Israel, very antagonistic against the Babylonians, refused to cooperate with them. They were warned that if they continued doing what they were doing, they were going to make the Babylonians so mad they'll come back and destroy the place. Well, ultimately, that's what happened. One of the ways they accomplished this was they took a perfectly good man who was taking the oversight, caring for the people of Israel while under Babylonian control, and they went and assassinated him. I mean, Jews killed a Jew. And the Babylonians took the position, well, if they're going to kill one another, we might as well go kill the rest of them. And I believe, I'm not positive on this, I'd have to double check this, but I believe if you look on your Jewish calendar, the day after Rosh Hashanah, the day after Yom Teruah, there's a called a fast of Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the Jew that was assassinated by the other Jews and brought about Babylonian attack on them. When the Babylonians come later, they will destroy Jerusalem. They will destroy the temple and the whole bit. Now here's Ezekiel in the land of Babylon prophesying to Israel, telling them that the Lord is getting ready to depart from Jerusalem and he's going to let the enemies come and destroy the place. And he's going to leave the temple that's going to get destroyed because of the abominations of Israel, because of the viciousness in the land of Israel, and because of the things that were going on. So we're right at the point where he's gotten this vision where he sees God leaving. So we get to chapter 11. Moreover, 
the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the Lord's house, which faced eastward. And behold, there were 25 men at the entrance of the gate, and among them I saw Jazaniah, the son of Azin, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, leaders of the people. Now, those are real people that were in Jerusalem that were there while Ezekiel is over in the land of Babylon. They're the ones causing trouble. They're the ones that are bringing, you know, the hatred of the Babylonians down on the people. They're the ones that have participated in harm to other Jews that are in the land. And so he's speaking to them, and God is speaking to Ezekiel, telling him what he's going to do with those men. And he said to me, son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and give evil advice in this city, who say, is not the time near to build houses? This city is the pot, and we are the flesh. In other words, we're going to build the place up. We're going to make it even better. Completely contrary to what's going on in Israel at that time. Verse 4, therefore prophesy against them, son of man, prophesy. Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, say, thus says the Lord, so you think, house of Israel, for I know your thoughts. I know your thoughts. I know what you're thinking about doing. You have multiplied your slain in this city, filling its street with them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, your slain whom you've laid at the midst of the city are the flesh, and this city is the pot, but I shall bring you out of it. You have feared a sword, so I will bring a sword upon you, the Lord God declares. Basically, he's pronouncing, I'm going to bring the Babylonians again. They're going to come after you. And I shall bring you out in the midst of the city, and I shall deliver you into the hands of strangers and execute judgments against you. You shall fall by the sword, and I shall judge you to the border of Israel, so you shall know that I am the Lord. Even if you escape and try to get out of the land of Israel, I'll have the enemy pursue you all that way. They will come after you. This city will not be a pot for you, nor will you be flesh in the midst of it. But I shall judge you to the borders of Israel. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. For you have not walked in my statutes, nor have you executed my ordinances, but you have acted according to the ordinances of the nations around you. You're just as vicious as the other nations around you. Now it came about as I prophesied that Petaliah, the son of Benaiah, I'm going to say, died. And then I fell on my face and cried out with a loud voice and said, Alas, Lord God, wilt thou bring the remnant of Israel to a complete end? He makes this prophecy, and the first thing that he hears after he makes the prophecy is one of the guys just died. We don't know the method that he died, but he died. And Ezekiel is now understanding, I prophesied again, he's dead. And so he's very concerned. Are you going to judge the whole remnant? Are you going to judge all of my brethren back there in the land? That's the question he's asking. Just like the question that he asked when he saw the angels going out to judge the household. Are you going to destroy the whole remnant of the house of Israel? Again, these judgments are so severe, and God is not showing any mercy at this point, that Ezekiel is constantly checking, oh, is this the end of Israel as we know it? God's finally wiping us all out. That's how severe they appear to him. Verse 14, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, your brothers, your relatives, your fellow exiles, and the whole house of Israel, all of them are those whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, go far from the Lord. This land has been given up as a possession. 
Therefore they say, thus says the Lord God, though I had removed them far away among the nations, and though I had scattered them among the countries, yet I was a sanctuary for them a little while in the countries where they had gone. You got to stop and go, what? You see, I understood that God was going to judge Jerusalem, was going to judge the people who were vicious in the land, but all of a sudden he's talking about, it's almost like shifting gears, he's talking about the people of Israel being scattered into all the nations. Now, we know the house of Israel was scattered by the Assyrians. The house of Judah had gone to Babylon, and we know that they will return. And we know there was some within Judah in the land of Israel that were judged by God. But all of a sudden, he shifts gears and he talks on a much global level. And he says, yes, when I have sent Israel and all the tribes scattered in the nations, all those different nations, I became a sanctuary for them where they were at. In other words, God is saying, I'm preserving my people. I'm going with them in exile, and I'll preserve them. Now, that's very fascinating because that is a description of Israel scattered in the nations even to this day. The people of Israel are scattered, but God, it's very clear. The evidence is very clear. God has been out here in the nations with us, preserving and protecting the Jewish people, protecting the house of Israel, even though they didn't know who they were, but he's been protecting them and being a sanctuary for them. Now, with that said, listen to what he says now. And this is one of those places that's directly talking about us in this generation. Verse 17, therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I shall gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered, and I shall give you the land of Israel. Well, you can mark right beside that verse, greater exodus. This is what all the other prophets talk about. Uh, they talk about there's that Israel is scattered amongst all the nations. Moses talked about being scattered in the remotest parts of the earth. From there, God will bring us back. Jeremiah talked about the days coming when you say the word Exodus, you'll not be talking about from Egypt. All, Isaiah talks about it. Uh, here's Ezekiel. He's talking about it. They're all talking about this end time thing that will take place. Verse 18, and when they come, they will remove all their detestable things and all their abominations from it. Praise God, there is hope for Israel that there's a day coming that we will lay down and leave the idols of the world and all the detestable things that God hates and all the abominations. That's what the greater exodus is supposed to do. We're supposed to leave trials and tribulations. We're supposed to leave Egypt, leave Babylon, leave them all, and return to the Lord clean and correct. Verse 19, here's how we accomplish that. I shall give them one heart and shall put a new spirit within them, and I shall take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, soft heart that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people, and I shall be their God. But as for those whose hearts go after their detestable things and abominations, I shall bring their conduct down on their heads, declares the Lord God. There's another verse that says judgment comes first to the household of God. At the start of the greater exodus, God is saying, we're going to leave all those things. We're going to leave Egypt. We're going to leave Babylon. We're going to leave all the abominations of the world. We're going to leave all the detestable things. 
you're now going to obey my commandments. I'm going to treat you differently. I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to put a spirit in you. I'm going to help you to do this. But those that don't want to give up the abominable things, those that don't reject God's spirit at that point, God says, I am going to come down upon their heads. That's the first judgment of the Great Tribulation, first on the household of faith. If you're not willing to be a part of God bringing you back, then you'll be judged right where you're at. I am very concerned about this. Ezekiel, when he saw this in his visions, thought God was going to wipe everybody out. That's how severe the judgment is. I'm not sure what we're going to see, but I do know we're going to be very concerned about it when it happens. And I take solace in the words that Paul gave us in 1 Thessalonians 4. The verses that most people refer to as speaking to the pre-trib rapture, in the very first verses of the paragraph describing the resurrection and the rapture, Paul says, do not grieve for those who go before you, who die before you. They'll be there at the resurrection. God will raise them up, but don't be concerned that they won't make that. And I think at the start of the Great Tribulation, we're going to see a lot of people that we think are in the faith, a lot of people we think are believers, and they're going to get judged. They're going to be summarily judged at the start of the Great Tribulation because of their participation in the abomination of desolation, because they came against the altar, because they agreed with the Antichrist. And I think they're going to be summarily judged. And I think when we see it, we're being told by Paul, don't grieve for them. It's okay. They're going to make it at the resurrection. God knows who they are. He'll, he'll deliver his people in the end. But they're not going to participate with us in this greater exodus. They're not going to participate with us to do harm. So with that said, verse 22. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is east of the city. That would be the Mount of Olives. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God to the exiles in Chaldea, that's in Babylon, to the vision so that I had seen left me. And I told the exiles all the things the Lord had shown me. Basically, he went and told the exiles, God's spirit is leaving the temple, it's leaving Jerusalem, it's leaving the land. And now we're going to be subject to what happens there. Chapter 12, I'm not going to read word for word, but I am going to summarize for you what it addresses. He then directs Ezekiel to do one of these, what I call, antique things. He's going to do a demonstration for those that are in the exile. He prepares himself where it looks like he's getting ready to go into exile. I mean, he's in Babylon. He's already in exile. But, but he's demonstrating what it would be like to go into exile if he were leaving from there. He is told to gather up his things. To not do it by nighttime, but in the daytime, so that his fellow brethren can see everything he's doing. And he's gathering his stuff. And when he, he's gathering his stuff, he's obviously doing this activity. And they're all looking at him and going, what are you doing, Ezekiel? He says, I'm getting ready to go into exile. Well, you're already in exile. Yeah, but I'm, watch me. I'm getting ready to go into exile. And it goes a little bit further, 
And then God, when he gets all the stuff ready to go, he says, now I want you to punch a hole in the wall. Don't go through the gate. I want you to make a hole in the wall, and I want you to make it look like you're escaping. And generally, this is what would happen. When a city, a walled city was laid siege to, the enemy was coming against. When it came time to escape from the city that it was laid siege to, they would find a place in the wall away from the enemy, and they would dig a hole in the wall so they could escape the city. And so part of the picture of exile was gathering your stuff, getting through this hole in the wall so you could get on the outside of the city. And so he purposely, there's a wall apparently that he used for this demonstration. He, quote, digs the hole in the wall, and in front of everybody, this is in the daytime, he's not being secretive about this at all. Matter of fact, I think he's telling them all about it. He goes through the motions of digging a hole in a wall and getting through it and going through it with his stuff. Then he comes back and announces to them, this is what's going to happen. That everybody in the land of Israel is going to go into exile. All of them. And that the Babylonians are going to lay siege to the city. And the people that are in the city, they're going to escape. They're going to have to punch a hole in the wall to get out. They're going to have to be a part of the destroying of the walls of Jerusalem just to get away from the enemy, which brings us down to essentially, let me read to you this very last part so you can kind of get the sense of it. He also proceeds to tell you that a lot of people are going to resist. They're not going to agree with this, but he's prophesying that this is going to happen, that Jerusalem will be besieged. And those that are in the land of Israel, they're going to have a major problem. By the way, let me just mention this. Jeremiah, who's in these days, he's going to escape Israel and go down into Egypt. A group of people are going to take Jeremiah the prophet who prophesied about the Babylonian captivity. He's going to escape. And there's going to be people who are, again, the conflicts are still going on with Israel, different factions. Some of them are saying, no, the Babylonians aren't going to do it. Let's cooperate with them. Some of them say, no, we're not going to cooperate with them. And in the meantime, bad things are happening to everybody. This is the turmoil taking place in the land as the Babylonians get ready to come. And Jeremiah is trying to get the people to repent and to accept the judgment of the Babylonians so they can press on. But other people take him and they, they spirit him away to Egypt. Those same people who wanted to save Jeremiah from the Babylonians coming and so forth, will get into dispute with Jeremiah, and they will kill him down in Egypt. That goes to show you just how ridiculous the behavior of Israel is at this point, and it further confirms that God was right and just in judging Israel in this most severe way that took place. Let me read some of these last words for you. Chapter 12, verse 26. Furthermore, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, the house of Israel is saying, The vision that he sees is for many years from now, and he prophesies of times far off. They didn't think it was going to involve them. Why did, why did they think that? Because it was a part of his vision. You remember where he talked about everyone scattered in the nation? They are correct. That part of the vision is about way far off from the days of Ezekiel. So they thought, oh, the whole vision is all about that. The whole vision, his, 
It's about many days far from now. It doesn't, doesn't involve us. That's what they're saying. Verse 28, therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be delayed any longer. Whatever word I speak will be performed, declares the Lord. So basically, Ezekiel now is going back and saying, there was a peace that I talked about far away at a future time. But what God's really saying about right now, today, that's going to happen. And that's going to happen here very quickly. So that brings us to the conclusion of chapter 12 of Ezekiel. And in the next episode, we're going to take it up from chapter 13. I hope you're enjoying our study in Ezekiel. It's kind of fascinating to look at all of his different visions and the message and how God used him to speak to his people for it. I'm praying that we too will be able to understand God's intent through the prophet Ezekiel and the part that applies to us. Unlike the people in his day, we will take it seriously and we'll consider because beginning from now through the end of the book, it's all about the last generation as you're getting ready to find out. Shabbat shalom to all of you.